Welcome to Conversations with Anne Elizabeth, a podcast inspired by my book, I'm a Registered Dietitian, Now What?, where I have the absolute joy to sit back, relax, and have a conversation about nutrition with a variety of people who share their personal story of passion and purpose, especially registered dietitians. Today, I am thrilled to share with you my inspiring and very educational conversation with private practice registered dietitian, Lucille Bessler, who is also the president of the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. I hope you have given my book, I'm a Registered Dietitian, Now What? A Little Look. It is available for purchase at my website, annelizabethardy.com, and it's also available as an ebook on Amazon and iTunes. Today's episode is sponsored by Jolly Time Healthy Pop Popcorn, where my guest and I snack smart and snack happy with Jolly Time Popcorn. To learn more about this perfect snack, visit jollytime.com for more information. My conversation today is with registered dietitian Lucille Bessler, who graciously took time out of her busy schedule to meet with me on a Sunday afternoon. She is a private practice registered dietitian, author, and the owner of Family Nutrition Center of South Florida. She has a passion for cooking and painting beautiful flowers, which I got to see in her office. In her spare time, she currently is the president of the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics and has spent the last year inspiring other registered dietitians for the next century of our amazing profession and our national organization. During our candid and down-to-earth conversation, she shares great advice for all dietitians on practicing, advocacy, volunteering, business, and just being a great registered dietitian. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Lucille as much as I did. So I am excited to spend the day with you today on this beautiful day in Florida on Sunday, but I kind of wanted to talk to you about when did you have that moment in your life that you thought, I really like nutrition and I kind of think I want to be a, did you know about being a dietitian when you were thinking about what you wanted to be when you grew up? Well, you know what? There's a couple of things that I thought about when I was growing up. First of all, I love to cook, and I have been cooking since I'm literally five years old at my grandfather's uh, guidance. He was the cook in the family. Uh, He immigrated from Italy, so he, and, and that was his passion. He loved to cook. So I would go shopping with him. We would go to the meat market and then the, and then the produce, you get every, everything fresh from different purveyors. So I always loved food. I always loved cooking. And then I loved health. And I always thought that there would be a good bridge from cooking healthy, wholesome food to improving people's health. So that's really where it came from. And then when I was in college, I started looking at the nutrition program, and that's when I decided this was for me. So where did you go to college then? I went to undergraduate Queens College, which is part of the City University of New York um, um, schools. Mm -hmm. Um, And then graduate school, I went to NYU. And you did dietetics for your undergrad and your master's? Yes, I did. Yes, you yes, did Yes, I did. I did both. Because I did not go for an internship. Oh. So how does that work? <laughs> so at that time, how it worked, now I feel like a dinosaur, but no, at that time, how all. it worked was that you would go for your four-year degree, then you went on for your master's, then you could take a six-month uh, traineeship. 
And then from there, you were able to sit for the exam. And that's what I did. Okay. So when you were in college, was there some, you know, we take so many different classes when Mm -hmm. it comes to like the cooking part, and then we take the science part. Was there one that you felt more at home with? Was there one that you felt an interest? Um, You know, I like food science. I think that it really is so important. And even now, if curriculums have to cut out food science, I think that is a mistake because um, our, um, I think our, um, you know, dietitians need to have that basic understanding of food science because I so I really like that and I will say I hated biochemistry and organic <laughs> chemistry worst two classes ever ever I think that's the what organic chemistry made me kind of rethink my whole dietetics journey I was kind of like I don't know if I can do this <laughs> agreed okay well agreed. good I like that we have that agreed. in common <laughs> so I kind of and you know food science I I, that was one thing that kind of turned me off about dietetics. But once I got into it, I loved it. Yeah. And so probably with your cooking with your grandfather, yeah. you know, food science, you saw you saw that cooking part with your grandfather. But then as you got to be a dietitian, you're like, oh, there's a whole science behind it, yeah. which is amazing. Even now, I think I go back to food science when I'm even ex- – you know, educating and explaining to consumers or clients um, because sometimes they really don't understand why does a food have maybe salt in it or why does a food have baking soda in it? Well, you know, you have to go back to that food science. How does that food get created with these added ingredients? So I think that the more we focus on that, sometimes then we can make those changes we want patients to make. Sure. We can't cut out certain ingredients that are key ingredients to the basics of a food item or, or a, a recipe. I, I agree with that. And I used to think I could, and you can't. No, you can't. <laughs> and I think a lot of t- yeah. dietitians probably think they can too. But yeah. And when I talk to a food scientist versus a dietitian, there is a vast difference when you look at a recipe, like how a dietitian sees it and how a food scientist sees it and how you do need to have certain right. ingredients. So that's why we need to collaborate. Definitely. And that's what we've been doing this uh, last couple of months is actually collaborating with other groups, other professionals. So I went to the Institute of Food Technologists uh, conference, and I was amazed that uh, what they do, and I was really excited to um, even think about how can we collaborate more in the future. That's interesting. So, uh, yeah, I think that we do look at food scientists and dietitians look at things through a different lens, but it would be great if we can collaborate and it'll only really improve our food uh, system and help uh, the consumers we serve and the even products better. that are out there. And the products. What was that the are one thing there. that you really what resonated with you when you attended that conference? Um, you know what I they what what did resonate with me is that they have a keen appreciation for what dietitians do. Oh. They really do. Um, And we give a trailblazer award to a dietitian who works in the food science science area. Um, And uh, that was really exciting. But they do appreciate what what we do. So it's a natural collaboration. That's great. That's great. But that's, and I think as a dietitian, I probably wouldn't think that that's happening out Mm -hmm. there. I didn't know we're making those connections as a profession to other professionals that have that common food goal. 
So that's a really good thing to know. I like that. So you did food science. You liked food science in school. Was your master's more focused on food science then? Or no, what did no. You my kinda... master's was in clinical okay. nutrition. Okay. So, um, uh, and uh, it was a, a great program at NYU. And at that point in time, I was working full-time while I was going to graduate school. How so, did you find time it, for that? It was okay. <laughs> so I always say I probably wasn't the best student. <laughs> well, that's a lot to balance. <laughs> I didn't probably have that super A <laughs> average, uh, but okay. it w- made it very meaningful. And I was really so fortunate because I was working at the time it was ARA, and they paid 80% of my master's to NYU, oh, wonderful. which was really, uh, you know, just wonderful. And I worked for them while I was doing that. And it was very meaningful. At first, I was in food service, and I really liked food service a lot. Mm-hmm. I think food service is a very exciting area for dietitians who might not want to be in that clinical realm. Um, You could do a lot in food service, you know, especially food service in hospitals, Mm -hmm. and you need to have a a number of skills, management skills, labor skills, you know, quite a lot of business skills. Mm -hmm. So that was pretty exciting. I I enjoyed that. And then I moved on to clinical dietetics and then as a chief clinical dietitian. So while I was going for my master's, it it really made it so much more meaningful working full-time and going to to school, many of the courses really related to what I was doing. So that's what, yeah, that that's what was very exciting. How did you find time for both? I don't know. I guess you I did just it, did though. it. Yeah. I just did it. it was, I don't know. It's like, you know, when things are important, you just find time. You do. That's we, very true. Yeah, we probably all grumble and say, "Ooh, I'm really I don't tired." Really. <laughs> <laughs> well, sure, that kind of goes along with the territory. You know, but no, it. It went well, so. Well, and it also was a great platform for you to kind of move into your positions with diet. So you, so head clinical, clinical passion I was a chief clinical dietitian for a a hospital. It was about a, I think it was about a 450-bed hospital. Wow. How many dietitians did you have on staff? You know, it's a little bit of a ways away. So I'm (laughs) thinking that we had about 10. I think we had about 10 at that time. Was there a lot of specializations with dietitians? You know, really not at that time. There mm-hmm. wasn't a lot of specialization. There were always the dietitians who wanted to work in the ICU and sure. the CCU, and um, but there weren't that specialty. I went on from there to work in a, a specialized area. Did you? Which area did you choose? Well, I decided after... I was working in uh, New York and uh, as the chief clinical dietitian, and there was a big hospital strike. And the hospital strike, I think it was about 56 days. And so we worked almost the whole 56 days because all our employees were in the union. Our dietitians Mm -hmm. were in the union, too. Mm -hmm. So after that, I said, I think I need to refocus because I don't think that I want to work in food service anymore. So I actually applied for a position at a children's hospital. They were advertising for a genetic nutritionist. I had no idea what what a genetic nutritionist (laughs) was. I asked my friends. They had no idea what a genetic nutritionist was. So I said, well, what the heck? Let me just try. I took a a risk Mm -hmm. because... 
you know, you could send your resume and people will laugh and say, you don't have any of this experience. But I said, let me just try. What do I have to lose? It was for a children's hospital. I thought it sounded very interesting. I was interviewed and the a person who interviewed me was head of the, uh, this, uh, the division of genetics for a children's hospital. He um, was a physician and he said, do you know what a genetic nutritionist is? And I said, no, I don't, <laughs> but I think that I could, I can, do I it. can train, I can learn, you know, I'm very, willing. I'm very willing. I, you know, I, I gave that whole, I'm a hard worker. And he said, guess what? There are not many genetic nutritionists. There's a handful th throughout the country. So if you're chosen, I will make you a genetic nutritionist. I'm thinking, wow. So I actually did get the job. It was really exciting. And he, I ended up doing, um, you know, metabolic disease. Wow. And it was really interesting. It was very different from what I was doing before. Sure. Uh, but it was, it was really very exciting. And then... Um, they farmed me out to the Division of Pediatric GI and Nutrition. Wow. So they farmed me out to many pediatric specialties. And since I didn't have that expertise, I had to learn on my own. And it, and it was a wonderful experience, just a wonderful experience, challenging myself to, you know, learn. go into that specialty and learn. You probably learned a lot about pediatrics then. I did because it was a freestanding children's hospital. Oh, sure then. Yeah. So what was the biggest thing about genetic dietitian? I mean, like, ultimately. Well, it was all these metabolic diseases, you know, that you you remember when you're studying in school. There's like a half to, half a chapter on it. Yeah. PKU, small, two sure. fructose. Um, malabsorption. Malabsorption. And so uh, it was pretty, pretty uh Intense. Intense. Absolutely. That's the word I was searching you for. You were kind of working Very and going intense. to school again yes, yes. on occasion. But it was really great experience. And and the head of the department, I still remember him, Dr. Weber, PhD, MD, he was so supportive, really wonderful. And, you know, at lunchtime, he'd take a napkin and start drawing the Krebs cycle. <laughs> Just for I fun. Think, I would think, oh, my goodness. <laughs> I don't think I could ever even, I don't even think I could even know where to start drawing the crap cycle. you know, I really appreciate, and you know, as a young dietitian, sometimes you don't appreciate all the people you meet along the way. But I appreciate him a lot because he brought me back to the science. And since I groaned before about biochemistry, mm -hmm. I really did need someone who was bringing me back to that science and saying, do you remember the Krebs cycle? <laughs> so this is where this metabolic error is occurring, and that's why this is happening. It was really great. And, and again, I, I think I'd say to our young dietitians, stop Savor the moment sure. and appreciate the people that you come in contact with along the way because they might be seeing things in you that you do not see in yourself. And that was the same thing when I was working in food service. I had a food service director who was a really kind man, and he he probably was towards retiring. He was a couple of years, you know, um, in front of retiring, and he 
brought me into his office and said, what are your goals? What are you looking for? He didn't just want to see me every day, nine to five, didn't really care about anything else. And he was my mentor. He was the one that actually helped me get tuition reimbursement from ARA and helped me move up that ladder. So, you know, I think we have to remember to appreciate appreciate those people that come along the way. And then when you get into that position that you have to really do the same thing, pay it forward, do the same thing, look at some of the young dietitians that are in front of you and say, you know what, I might have a vision for you. I might help mold that for you. I love that. I say that same message to myself to remember those people because you, I really feel like it does come back full circle somewhere along your journey. That person that was there at the beginning comes back somewhere to you yeah. in the and, end. Yeah. And sometimes you don't realize it at the time. You don't. You're so busy with everything else. You don't realize what this person has done for me is just so invaluable. Priceless, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think that's a good message for other dietitians that you do need to work with younger dietitians. Be a mentor, be a preceptor, be that person that will make a difference to help guide them because there's so many opportunities for dietitians. There really are a lot of opportunities. And, uh, you know, I think that we have become such influencers and that's what My goal for our profession, for our colleagues, are to be the influencers. I would love to see more dietitians on boards, food companies, healthcare companies, because we really do interact with every area of health, food, wellness, so much. So we are influencers. And And I think that we have to be empowered to understand that and feel strong about that. And be at the table. Don't let nutritionists and chiropractors and other individuals that do tout nutrition information because we're the experts and we need to be at the table. I agree. I agree. We've even thought we need to set the table now yeah. and invite those others. <laughs> that's so true. that's what that second century is all about. And we had that wonderful second century summit in Dallas in September. And this is the initiative of the Academy's second century mm-hmm. for our wonderful 100th anniversary. And we invited leaders from all over from various places in health, wellness, um, public health. The list went on and on. Some of the people that we had there, it was pretty extraordinary. We had a dietitian from Under Armour. People are saying, why would you have somebody (laughs) from Under Armour? Why? Because they bought my fitness pal, they own that, and they are going to be the leaders in... um, wearable devices. Mm. So wearable devices are going to be something that we're going to use in health. So if people are at home and we want to know what their blood pressure is and they can put a shirt on on that Mm -hmm. is a wearable device, then we'll be able to know that. So having those companies at our summit, inviting them, Some of them didn't really know who we were, but when they walked out of that summit, they They knew knew. (laughs) who we were, and it's really very exciting. So I I would encourage all your listeners, 
um, that as second century initiatives come via the state, that they should keep their eyes out for for things and get involved because it is going to be really very exciting. So it's how do we approach others and say, hey, join us. And it's wonderful to be at that table, but when you are the coordinator (laughs) and you're inviting the guests, boy, oh boy, what a difference. And that's what we're trying to do more. I love that. That is, I love that message because you're right. We need to set the table from now on. (laughs) And not relinquish. You know, sometimes I... I hear from colleagues that say, well, we shouldn't be self-serving. I I have no one. I'm not a self-serving individual. Mm -hmm. But I've worked hard for my education. And it is my education. This is my profession. So I am a little protective of my profession. And I'm also protective of the people we serve because I think that if they're getting information and educational messages from others, they might be confused. I don't want to see them confused. Mm -hmm. I'm really here to help people. And if helping them means that I need to um, bring their attention to the person and the profession that provides the best kind of nutrition education messages, I'm going to do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, that's amazing. I like makes, it gets me excited about being a dietitian when I hear things like that. Cause I think a lot of us don't hear that message when we're on the front line and trying to get those messages out. I know. I, I know that many dietitians are very frustrated. They write to me or I meet them and they say, I'm very frustrated because I go to the gym and the personal trainer says, uh, you know, can I give you a nutrition plan? It happens to me. Every time I go to the gym, they must. So what do you say? So as, you, you know, know, what do you say? How I do you respond? Say, I'm the keeper of the flame. And sometimes <laughs> I don't want to be the keeper of the flame, right? Yes. Sometimes you just want to have that day. You can put your sunglasses yes. on and just keep going. Exactly. Um, but I'll usually say in a very nice way, well, you know, you're a personal trainer. Yes. You're a certified person. Yes. Well, I'm a registered dietitian, and I know that you um, might know a lot about general nutrition, and I appreciate that. I don't try not to <laughs> cause any. And, yes. yeah. <laughs> but you're not licensed to provide nutrition information in this state. So thanks, but I like I that's a great this. answer. You know, it's hard because, you know, the more you deal with people who are promoting nutrition and it's and you know they're they're not educated to do so you have to find a way that perhaps you could maybe hold out maybe you can encourage them to utilize your services. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's a way you could say, you know, you might know the basics, but really you don't know anything complex except eat chicken and spinach every day. (laughs) So how can I help you? Maybe that's the way we have to approach it because you can, you could probably get into real big arguments with some of these 
individuals, and you don't want to do that. You just definitely don't want to do that. I was the chairman of the state licensing board for Florida for nine years, so I know what kind of things are going on. I know what unlicensed activity is going on. You're never going to be able to Mm -hmm. combat um, eat fruit and vegetables. Let's face it, that's a good message. Anybody can give that message, and anybody can give that message. A teacher, a doctor... A mom. A mom. <laughs> the, the produce manager of a local sure. supermarket. You know, anybody can give that message. But when you're giving very specific messages to people that you do not know their health background, that's when we get into, uh, you know, problems. So I think there's a way that we really should kind of maybe try to bridge a gap with some of these individuals in and get a way. inviting them to your table and having right. that conversation right. of how you can yeah. work together. Yeah. Cuz perhaps if they realize what they don't know, then they'll be able to stay within a, a appropriate boundaries. I I think that's perfect. And then they can say, "Well, I don't have the rest of that information for you, but I have a registered dietitian that I can refer you Absolutely. to." Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And the same with us. I don't feel that I'm an exercise expert. I, I know I should walk. <laughs> I, I know, know I should I, get some. <laughs> I, know, I know, yes. <laughs> I have that little stepper under my desk there, so I try to do that when I'm on conference calls too long. Well, that's but, good. you know, I, really, uh, I think that it's important for us to respect their field, too, as much as we want others to respect ours. I think that goes, too, with other dietitians. Like, I feel like it's important that we're not experts in everything dietetics either. And I think a lot of us as dietitians, do you feel that we kind of take, we know everything and we can help everybody, but do you think that we need to be more of a referring within our practice kind of dietetics I think it, you know what, that's a really good question. So I think we have to kind of step back and think about it. If it's something very complex then I would definitely say if you're dealing with something of a complex nature, then maybe you need to find a dietitian who's working in that area. But I will say for dietitians who are in practice, general practice, you have to be a jack of all trades. Mm -hmm. It's like a physician. Think about it. A physician goes into his or her office in the morning. They don't know what's going, they're going to see. They have 30 patients. They walk in, they ask their questions, they take a history, they do an assessment. And then from there, do I need to refer this person or is it something I can handle? And I think we have to have that same approach. Um, And the reason I say that is because I happen to be a certified diabetes educator, and I told you before, I have a practice, and I hire other dietitians. Well, when I hire a a dietitian who's also a certified diabetes educator, at times it has been difficult because they don't want to see any other patients Mm -hmm. but diabetes. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you, you will not have a viable practice or business. Now, if you have somebody who's a post-liver transplant patient and you say, that's too complex for me, absolutely. You look for the local 
hospital outpatient. But you're not going to find anybody who is in general practice that that's truly just their specialty. So there's a way we have to look at this. So to go back to my example of the dietitian who um, I hired who was a certified diabetes educator, um, she becomes less and less valuable to the practice if there's only one set of patients she, mm. she or he wants to see. Mm -hmm. So if you say, I only want to see you know, diabetics, and I cannot see anyone with Crohn's disease or inflammatory bowel disease, or I can't see overweight children, then you really, you know, you're limiting your own skills. And there's no reason you cannot enhance your knowledge in those areas. So I think it depends on the complexity. And I think that's a good message too, that I think a lot of us are so focused on becoming specialized, but you need to still educate yourself about maybe the things that aren't in your comfort zone. And right. there's so many resources for right. that too. Yeah. Well, specialization is wonderful. But if we think about it from a business perspective, are you, gonna, are you going to open a practice and hang out a shingle and say, I only mm -hmm. will see these kind of, of patients? Will it be viable? And and I don't have an answer for that. I It'd think be wonderful. If it, it would could be, be wonderful, <laughs> but from my perspective, probably not. Mm -hmm. You know, if I said I only see this, I think that would limit what really comes through the door. So I always say I'm a door dietitian. <laughs> we see anything that comes through the door. <laughs> that's like my corny that. joke, sorry. <laughs> no, that's it. That's good. But it, again, it's like you care about people and helping right. people. So you're not going to turn someone right. away either. And you do your homework. And I mm -hmm. keep telling people, be prepared, do your homework. So we know what our schedule is. We look at our schedule the day before. And on my schedule tomorrow, I have someone with celiac disease. Well, mm -hmm. I, I, I'm very well versed in celiac disease because mm -hmm. I worked a lot in pediatrics oh, where sure. it was diagnosed. But I'll still review, take out the materials, take out what I want, the high points that I definitely want to educate people on. Uh, but of course, then I have to take that history and understand, uh, you know, the uh, patient's medical history, their, their dietary history. But you do your homework. So I don't really understand when people say, I'm, I'm, I don't feel comfortable. That's always what they'll say. I don't feel comfortable seeing someone with inflammatory bowel disease. Okay, why? Mm -hmm. Don't you know how to do the re research for it? Don't you remember your nutrition? From school and your basics and right, find, right. And yeah. I think you can yeah. tap into other dietitians if you are not Absolutely. finding the information and Absolutely. say, hey, where can you direct me? But to just refer it off. And yeah. So I think that specialty is great, but don't try to create a niche for yourself that's just going to limit you. I guess that's my message. Yeah. That's a great message. Well, in owning your own practice, you see that. So you know right. that. As a, and I like the business perspective because I think there are a lot of entrepreneurs in our profession that are opening their own practice and right. they need to know that mm -hmm. you gotta kind of you kind of gotta do everything. <laughs> you gotta do everything. I tease I tease some of the dietitians and say, now you can't do everything because I'm still responsible for cleaning the bathroom. <laughs> 
<laughs> You're part of that too. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so how long did you do pediatric nutrition? I did for? pediatrics for I think it was about between five and six years. Okay. So quite so a I while. did a lot. Yeah. Did you see during that time, did you see a lot of celiac diagnosis yes, coming a lot would, more? Well, you know, now it's a lot it's more. It's a lot prevalent, because, more prevalent. Yeah. But uh, at the time, we would see plenty because I did um, work for the Division of GI Nutrition, okay, too. Sure so they were referred, failure, uh, failure to children thrive. who were referred for failure to thrive. That was one of the differentiating uh, diagnoses, so mm. Crohn's or celiac disease. So we'd see a lot. Saw a lot of cystic fibrosis. I still, to this day, work at a clinic, uh, children's hospital clinic, uh, for cystic fibrosis. So, you do. Yeah, Is yeah. there a An lot of that? Or, or, and a child clinic. Really? More than we want. That's, yeah, that's, and I think that's something that I didn't know anything about when I was going through school. Celiac either, but right. it's amazing that how we yeah. can have an influence on their health. Yeah, yeah. Huh. So, okay, so you did pediatrics. What was your next adventure? So then after pediatrics, my adventure was to come to Florida. <laughs> I decided to move to Florida, and um so happy. And was it some place that you just wanted? To, was that kind of where you saw your family was down okay, here? My sure. sister and her husband. And you're very close to your and I'm sister. Very, yeah, close to my sister. I'm very close to my mother. And she lives here too. Yes, they yes. do. Oh, wonderful. My sister lives in Orlando. My mother lives in Boca Raton. My grandparents were down here, and then all my aunts and uh, were here. So I decided, yeah, sure, That's I'll, where you I'll move. You know, so I moved down. And I decided to open my practice right away. Um, I was lucky. I actually made connections with some physicians who were trained at the children's hospital that I was at. Wonderful. So I, I actually opened my practice, and that's why I know something about specialty practices. I opened my practice as a pediatric adolescent nutrition practice. So very specialized. Very specialized, <laughs> but was very busy because, uh, you know, childhood obesity is a big problem in our society. So, But after about three years of just doing pediatric and adolescent nutrition, I decided, you know what, we're on, we, we worked really hard to get on every insurance company, and at that time... We were really the first, kind of the pioneer in South Florida to get on insurance plans. So once wow. we got on all the insurance plans, then my next logical step was to take away that specialty of just doing pediatrics and adolescent nutrition and to open it up to everyone. So we started working with adults and we had other dietitians who came in. And I always said it was an easier transition from working with children and then working with adults. Because you always work with adults when you're working with children because you work with their parents, parents and sure. you work with their grandparents and their caretakers. So again, though, it was challenging, be better educated, work, you know, towards my certified diabetes educator, you know, so... Um, it was a very interesting, you know, next step. Did you have any dietitians on staff before you transitioned into adult, or did you, was it just I you had part time? Had I had part time, but then when I actually transitioned to adults, that's when I brought uh, more staff on board. So, have you always had an interest in diabetes? 
You know what? All everybody in my family is diabetic, so I guess I have become interested in you diabetes. Have. It's that Everybody's diabetic. <laughs> All the women in our family, you know, either they're pre-diabetes or diabetic, and uh, so. And you had probably tons of contact hours just with your education yeah, that you were yeah, doing. Yeah, but you have to really very carefully document all those sure. contact hours. And yes, so, so you know, it, it really turned into a, a very uh, busy practice, and thankfully, at, with a lot of interesting kind of areas that we were working in. Well, and you are so active with insur- getting on insurance. That is a feat in itself. Have you, with the pediatric population and then with adult population, have you as well kind of worked with insurance companies to be a provider? We're on every insurance plan in South Florida that um, is here, except Wonderful. for the ones that will not take dietitians. Sure. So um, we're on everything. We know a lot about insurance. We, uh, and I say we, I have two staff members that are wonderful. They're non-RDs. Um, and they really are the insurance experts, along along with myself. Um, and uh, we we go around talking about insurance reimbursement and teaching other dietitians how to bill for their services and how to get on insurance plans. It was much easier then than it is now. Many of these networks are closed. You know that, especially in our area, we have a Probably a lot of people who are in private practice in this area. Do you? So we're pretty saturated, so it makes it even more difficult. Um, but, yeah, I, you know, really, it, some people will tell me they have, like, a, a boutique practice. And if they have a boutique practice, that's wonderful, and they don't have to take insurance. Mm-hmm. That's great. I, I think that's wonderful. But the majority of patients are not going to come to you exactly unless they can get some coverage from their insurance. They'll find another dietitian that will. Yeah. They'll find somebody. Mm -hmm. So we're on every insurance plan. And as long as the insurance covers it, we're, you know, we're obviously have to take their insurance. Mm -hmm. Um, the, the thing that people don't realize is even if we're a participating provider of an insurance, that doesn't mean what they're coming for is covered. So I always... That diagnosis. Right. It's Mm -hmm. the diagnosis. It's Mm -hmm. always diagnosis-driven. And I try to teach other dietitians that, you know, um, because somebody will say, well, they're coming because they have gout. (laughs) Well, we know there is some nutrition intervention with gout. Mm -hmm. But the insurance company does not recognize that nutrition is going to be the mainstay treatment for gout. So that's not going to be covered. And that's where it gets a little tricky. Do you work, do you work with the physicians then to maybe like look at comorbidities and see if there'd be some avenue that way? Yep. Um, we do tell the physician's offices that they need to list every comorbidity on the referrals. We provide them with a referral pad so they could check off. So if somebody's diabetic, please put down their hypertensive too. Sure. If they're, and we, our clinical notes and our reports back to the doctor include all those comorbidities because that just substantiates the need for that individual to be um, receiving nutrition services. So. So as a dietitian who does believe that that insurance and, you know, billing and medical nutrition therapy 
compared to those boutique dietitians, why as a dietitian do you think you should advocate for billing insurance and working with insurance companies and, you know, really making us out to be part of that medical care team? What What is so beneficial for us? So there's a lot of things that I think are beneficial from, you know, the dietitian on the ground, in practice, the number one reason it's beneficial is it because it increases access to your services. So when you start taking insurance plans, when you start contracting with insurance plans, more people will come to you. So more people will come to you. You're going to have a busier practice. Mm -hmm. You're going to have a viable practice. So guess what? You'll be there to help the community. And that's the important thing. We want to see dietitians successful. We want to see them in practice and they're doing well. And the end result is they're going to improve the health of the community. Mm -hmm. So it's a win-win all around. Um, you know, when, when we have a boutique practice, yes, you, you can help you know, a small percentage of people. But if we advocate for nutrition services as part of the part of healthcare, we're saying nutrition can improve outcomes. That's what we're saying. But of course, we have to prove that nutrition improves outcomes. And how do we prove that? By collecting outcomes. Mm -hmm. Seeing patients. So, seeing <laughs> patients and collecting outcomes. And collecting outcomes sometimes is a drag. I understand that. Mm -hmm. We're very busy. Some practices, people are doing everything. They're the biller, you know, they're um, the seeing the patient, the secretary, <laughs> they wash the bathroom, the bathroom they do <laughs> all of that. So it's sometimes difficult to then say, okay, I have to collect outcomes. But no matter how you do it, you could do it in just an Excel spreadsheet. Mm -hmm. You really need to show your insurance company representatives every once in a while the outcomes that you see in your practice. We do that, and we were able to show our insurance representatives that after three visits, we were able to lower hemoglobin A1C by 18%. Wonderful. So, you know, they... They were very happy to see the way we put it into, you know, we put it into a report. Um, they were pleased with it. They accepted it. Of course, they can go back and they can look at these these patients themselves. But at least we're talking to them about it. We're saying, we know we have a responsibility to help patients and to help them achieve good outcomes. And what we do can can you know, can, can make that. that happen. Yeah. And they'll look at numbers. Yeah. They'll Even look at some numbers. numbers and some data. They love yeah. that. <laughs> well, they want to know that, that, um, what you're doing is going to save them money. Mm -hmm. You know, I kind of always remember this, this woman that came to see us and after she was seeing another dietitian and we always have clinical meetings where we go over patients and talk about mm -hmm. patients. So after 10 visits, she lost two pounds. So I remember saying to the dietitian, okay, so if this insurance company comes to us and says, I don't remember how much it was. Let's say it was $3,000. $3,000 of these visits and she lost two pounds. Was that a really good return on our investment? No. Nope, not at all. <laughs> so, you know, we really do have to yes. look at those outcomes.
Not that we are responsible for all the outcomes. Mm -hmm. That I think we have to understand as dietitians. We give people information how to change their lives. That doesn't mean that they're going they're to do, do everything, you know. <laughs> It's kind of like your dentist and everything else. <laughs> Flossing everything. Right. But but we can then step back as professionals and say, wait a second, we're not going anywhere. This isn't helping. And how can we change how it? How can we change it? Improve it. Yeah, because we need to be partners in that. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think is different about us providing healthcare. We are more on a partnership with those patients mm-hmm. and we're trying to help them at their wealth where they're at in their wellness journey. Absolutely. And I think that's an important message for dietitians too. There's always that textbook, but then there's always that we still have to be that partner with them. Oh, I think so. I, you know, and you probably see that a lot in your own you private be, practice. You, you know, I always say that you really have to understand them and and be compassionate and have a humanistic approach to mm-hmm. things. When people say to me, oh, pl- I, you know, I really didn't want to come here. My doctor told me I had to come here, <laughs> but I didn't want to come here. I think, oh, that's awful. Why mm-hmm. didn't you want to come here? I know you're going to tell me I can't eat anything exactly. that I like. <laughs> and I say, don't eat anything you don't like. I don't eat foods I, I don't like. Do you eat foods you don't like? Absolutely not. <laughs> so we're, if they think of us as the food police, they're not going to want to come and see us, mm-hmm. and then we're not going to have a good relationship no, with consumers. No. So we definitely want to uh, get rid of that food police label and sure. be the the health professionals that are going to help them improve their lives, like you said, their journey, their health journey, and how, how we can help them do that. Do you see a lot of that yet that we're kind of saw, seen as the food police? Yes. Do you see that often? Yes. 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 And yes. Especially probably in private yeah. practice. Yeah. And I and I do think that that um, sometimes we're responsible for that. Mm-hmm. There's, I'm sure there are some food yeah. police dietitians yeah. out when there. When we say no, you can never eat that. <laughs> I would get pretty upset if somebody I said no. Might. I can never if eat someone her. told me, I'd be upset too. So how do you do you when you work with physicians? Do you kind of build some good partnerships with physicians then yeah. that are locally? Absolutely. You know that we we always market. We'll go out to physicians' offices. Sometimes it's hard to get past that front mm-hmm. desk, as mm-hmm. you probably know. Absolutely. Uh, but we do try to uh, go and see them, talk to them. We always send reports or pick up the phone. And that's really how you get to busy doctors. That, that's a good message because yeah. I think a lot of people probably want to know how you can – because I think more and more doctors are just shutting the door on any – you know, drug reps or any other yeah, it's really individuals hard. that come into it's their office. They're busy. They mm-hmm. see so many patients. They're really busy. But when you send a report, which you're required to do, my feeling is you're required. You're on in, in, an insurance plan. A lot of times the insurance companies will ask us for our clinical reports. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you're on an insurance plan. You're required to have some kind of clinical report. You send it to the doctor. That's a great way to be in contact with them without, you know, Trying to get paid. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Good point. Well, and I like how you mentioned marketing. You know, I think a lot of, do you feel like that's something that dietitians might be lacking is that marketing component? So I will honestly say I hate the marketing piece. (laughs) Not your favorite, right? (laughs) Not my favorite thing to do, you know, to put my, uh, uh, you know, my best on and go into the office and... You know, there you go. 
with with the hi. I'm so and so. I'm so and so. Here's my card. This is what we could do. It really can be very trying, you know, and it and it's a little rejection sometimes. It it's a little hard. So I don't love the marketing piece, but guess what? It's necessary. So we do um, print a lot of marketing materials, flyers, brochures. Uh, we'll go and visit doctor's office. We'll ask them if we can, you know. Have a meeting. Have them. It hardly ever can have a meeting. That's mm-hmm. really hard to do. It is so hard. And you know. It's I, ideal, but it's so hard. In our community, you know what we find? They'll, we have very big um, physician practices. As you can see from South Florida, we are very heavily demographic community, heavily populated. So we have physicians who might have 20 physicians in the group. Mm. So it's hard to get there to see all of them, but they have a lot of supportive staff. So they'll say to you, yeah, you can come and speak to the physicians, but you have to bring lunch for everyone. Sure. So mm-hmm. you have to bring lunch for 50 people. <laughs> That's going to cost you quite a penny. Now, if you're new to the community and you think it's worthwhile, then absolutely you could do that. Also, remember you, that you're going to be judged on what you're bringing. Of course. As a dietitian. Of course. So we need... <laughs> I mean, really, though, right? Maybe don't bring the fried chicken, (laughs) even though it might be cheaper. (laughs) And they might like it better, but... (laughs) So, you know, that could be a teachable moment then. Mm -hmm. But sometimes that could get expensive. So, you know, you have to look at marketing in all aspects. You know, what what do you bring so that you're memorable? Are you going Mm. to bring lunch? Are you going to bring some kind of trinket to leave behind so that they remember you? Uh, can you get past the front desk? So these are some of the things you have to think about when you're marketing. Yeah, I think that's an important message too because you have to make it memorable. Right. Otherwise, they'll just, oh, well, there's another dietitian. Big yeah. deal. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So do you like the being in your own practice? I mean, like comparing yourself to like a clinical dietitian in a facility versus your own practice, you know, where do you feel like you're living out your passion more as a private practice dietitian? Yes. I still think, though, it's interesting that you say clinical dietitian because just this week I read something and someone was talking about clinical dietitians and they were excluding people in private practice. And I thought, why are they excluding us? We still do clinical. Mm -hmm. We're not in the ICU or the CCU, but we have people with complex diseases come to see us. People who come to see us with diabetes or people who come to see us with cancer and they have other comorbidities, Mm -hmm. that's clinical. So I think you still have to maintain your clinical skills. So that's the first part of that question. The second part of the question, I love being my own boss. You do. I love being (laughs) self-employed. I will tell you, I just love it. I can't think of anything that I would enjoy better. Mm -hmm. I tell people I'm completely unemployable (laughs) because when you've owned your own business for a long enough period of time, you just see it your way. Sure, (laughs) sure. You know, um, of course, my staff would disagree because that's not my style of management (laughs) or leadership that I only see it my way. But, uh, you know, it's very exciting to create something and then actually watch it grow. It's very exciting for me to know that I 
I have employees that have been with me a very long time. That means a lot to me. I have one employee that's been with me for 10 years, the other one who has been with me for five years. So we're like family. So that makes me very proud that I'm responsible for their positions and they're responsible to the practice. And together we really work hard uh, to make sure that it's a good, viable practice. I can't imagine what else I would do. Would I love <laughs> having my own business. That's I really wonderful. enjoy it. How many years have you had, Eric? I'm going to say 25 years now. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, and you created positions for dietitians, which that alone is paying it forward. Yeah, that's, that's really exciting too. It mm-hmm. really is, you know. And uh, we've had a lot of dietitians. We've had a lot of dietitians come and go too. And that's great because they've gone on to, you know, different things or pursue their passion and that's great. Uh, but, you know, there's there's nothing like being responsible for your own future. It does come with a lot of 3 a.m. moments, though. Does, what are 3 a.m. moments? 3 a.m. Uh, <laughs> moments is when your eyes fly open, you say, oh, my goodness, what are we going to do about this? Or how are we going to handle that? Or, oh, no, healthcare is changing and they're cutting all of this out. What are we going to do? So you always are reinventing yourself when you have your own business because anything can come along and really jeopardize your business. So you have to uh, be aware of that. Be astute. Always know what's going on. That's why it's important to know, you know what's going on in healthcare mm-hmm. if, again, you have your own practice. And that's always changing. And it's always changing. Yeah. yeah. They'll keep you young. Yeah. Especially if you can wake up at 3 a.m. and have moments. (laughs) So how did you get interested in leadership and your path on that? Because this is only one part of you, and then you have this whole leadership part of you. Well, I'm going – I think I'm going on my 20th year. Uh, Somebody once coined the term uh, serial volunteer, (laughs) and I think that's what I am. So what happened when I came to Florida, I didn't know anybody really. I didn't know any other dietitians. So I said, okay, let me go to a, a meeting, a, you know, a local dietetic meeting so I can, you know, meet people. And when you're in private practice, it does get lonely. That's one thing because you're not in a big hospital with, you know, lots of your colleagues. Mm-hmm. So I started, you know, making some, uh, developing some relationships with dietitians through the local uh, district um, chapter. And then I went to the annual Florida Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics meeting. At that time, it was, you know, the Florida ADA. And someone stopped me in the hall and they introduced themselves as the executive director of Florida. I got to meet her. We've been friends for 25 years. I, I tell her it's all her fault. And she said, you know, we've heard about you, and we would like you to submit your name for the state licensing board. Would you like to do that? And I said, oh, Sure, I have nothing else to do. <laughs> That's how it happens, though, That's right? How it happens. Get someone who's lonely, who doesn't know a lot of people. She'll do it. She'll, <laughs> She'll do, do it. it. <laughs> so I actually ended up 
on the state licensing board. It was wonderful. It was really great, great opportunity. And I was there for nine years. Oh. It was well, supposed to be four years. And then you got cozy. <laughs> then I got reappointed for another four years. Then it took a year to to find uh, someone else. And at that, over that nine years, I believe I was the chair for six out of nine years. Okay. So it was very exciting. And then from there, you know, I, I think it was Chris again. <laughs> Christine, where Your are you? Director. I think it, I think it was her again. Okay, would you uh, run for Florida president? <laughs> at the same time, then one of the... Uh, the president on the national level asked me if I would like to chair the uh, PAC, okay. the Political Action sure. Committee. And so that created some other leadership positions. Of advocacy, yeah. yes, definitely. And then I was asked to run for the board of directors. And then after that stint <laughs> on the board of directors, then I was asked to run for president. So. Wow, it and is, it all just happened by going to a local district meeting. It did. It actually did. <laughs> uh-huh. Really, it did. And then just being open, you know, and say, yeah, I think I could do that. And volunteering for your profession, believing sure. in what you're doing. You know, that's that's what it was. So it's been a very rewarding and exciting time. I think it has enhanced my career beyond what I could have ever imagined it gave me more than I, than I gave anyone. It really did. I will tell you. It, it really, it really touches me an awful lot because I, I just think it's been a wonderful opportunity that I've been given. That and I think there are so many dietitians that need to hear that because as I also had no idea about all this leadership and advocacy and opportunity to advocate for our profession, and I think there's a lot of us that don't realize it's out there and. And so what would your message be to other dietitians that where do you start? What do you do if you haven't ever been a part of even your district or your state affiliate? You know, why would you do that when you're so busy with everything else in your life? You know, how does that fit in? So number one, I don't want people to think they have to be this special person with extraordinary skills and are the most articulate person in the community. You don't have to be any of those things. You have to have a passion for your profession. You have to have a passion for your colleagues. That's all you need. And the willingness to say yes, that's it. We're not looking for just a special type Mm -hmm. of person. Not at all. We're just looking for people who can advocate for their profession and for their colleagues. So start on the local level. I always say that's the greatest place to start. And you know what? You'll have fun. It's really it fun. fun. There's this socialization that goes on that's wonderful. Um, most of my friends, my really long time friends now, are all people I met through the Florida uh, Academy. And we've been friends for so long. So you meet people that you have similar interests. You do. You that really maybe you would do. never encounter in you, regular right, life. Right. You mm-hmm. might not meet them anywhere else. So start on the local level. Do something you're interested in. If you're interested in membership, do that. If you're interested in maybe um, developing a newsletter, do that if you like to write. But go to your local meeting, 
say hello, volunteer your service, whatever you can do. You don't have to volunteer, you know, 20, 30 hours a mm-hmm. week. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's a couple hours a week or maybe it's a couple hours a month. Mm-hmm. But then also be aware of what your profession, your professional organization is doing. Go on the website. You can see everything that's happening. You know, the, it's full transparency, what's happening in the states, what committees there are. And we're always looking for people to fill these committee, uh, you know, positions. So I guess I would just say jump in, have some confidence in yourself, because I think that's sometimes very hard. I will tell you, I had felt many a time, do I have what's necessary to do this? Mm-hmm. And I think if, if people are not a little introspective and are not thinking, oh, do I have the skills for this? It's silly. You, everyone has to sure. think, wait a second, do I have that? But then have some confidence in yourself. There's lots of people along the way that are going to help you. Oh, yes. That will probably help you develop strengths in areas that you didn't have before. So I just think it's the most rewarding the most rewarding aspect of our careers by volunteering for our profession and advocating for our profession. And I feel that the people who complain and don't advocate for their profession, you don't have a right to complain. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Is that right to say? I agree. I agree. No, I agree with that because there are a lot of people that do right. have a voice that aren't having a role right. in what's happening. So yeah. absolutely. So this year with your presidency, what's kind of been your biggest kind of passion project with your presidency? That's a very good question. So I think that from our conversation, you might see that I'm very passionate about business. And I do believe that dietitians have to have a mind for business no matter where they work. Uh, they could work in a hospital. They could be a food service director. They can be a chief clinical dietitian. They could be a supermarket dietitian. They can be a private practice dietitian. And it goes on and on. But they have to understand the business of nutrition, the business of healthcare, or the business of food service. Because if we can do that, if we can learn about business, then we can also see where where can we be the most, uh, where can we have the most important role? If we have an a eye for business, we can see where uh, we're going to be able to get compensated for mm-hmm. our services. Mm-hmm. So we want revenue-producing positions, and we want dietitians to start looking at their positions as revenue-producing positions. In this way, we can look at the future of our profession, that we're a viable profession. I, and I agree with you. I think business is such an important part of it. And I don't mm-hmm. feel like we get a great education on that side of it. Do you yeah. kind of feel that way? No, I don't think so. I don't think we really have. I don't remember taking any courses no. in business. <laughs> I think we have so many clinical courses we have to take and so many nutrition courses that probably would be hard to get it into the curriculum. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's what I want to see is that we understand that it's very important in today's healthcare for us to make sure that our services show good outcomes 
so that these services can continue, that someone else doesn't take over Mm -hmm. providing our services. So they have to be cost effective. So to be cost effective, you have to understand business a little bit. So that has been one of my, you know, my big passions to get dietitians to understand that and to take risks. And that was a lot of my fancy fancy speech Mm -hmm. too, how to take risks, how to look, you know, is this going to uh, get me to that next step where I want to be? Because sometimes we're a little risk adverse as dietitians. Absolutely. So I, you know, so that's part of, been part of, uh, you know, my passion as president. And then also I'd like to see collaboration with other professions. And I think that we have to understand what collaboration, what actually is collaboration. Collaboration is not giving over our profession to someone else. Mm -hmm. Collaboration means where do we have a common ground and how can we work together to further, uh, you know, a... A, a certain topic or further uh, a principle or further our vision together. That's great. So that's fantastic. I like that's why I resonated a lot with you when you were at Fancy, just with how you're talking about risk and how you're just being part of all the future of what where we're going, which falls into the 21st century initiative too, which I'm sure you've had a huge role. With. It's been very exciting. That has been very exciting. So, uh, yeah. And that's going on for, you know, part of my presidency and then mm-hmm. part of Donna Martin's presidency because, you know, it spans that 2016-2017. Mm-hmm. No, mm-hmm. excuse me. 2000. It's 2017 okay. is actually the, the year. 100th year. Yes. So, you know. <laughs> That's ex- so, and you've and you've done lots of wonderful fun. Is there any memorable thing about your presidency so far that well, you just absolutely are amazed by? Well, I think the last two weeks we're here <laughs> in um, towards the latter part of February, right? So the last two weeks have been very memorable. I was asked to go to the UN to speak um, in recognition of the second international day of women and girls in science and math. That was very exciting. We didn't think we were going to get there. (laughs) New York was having a major snowstorm, but we prevailed and we did get there. Um, and it was quite exciting. It was quite exciting to be amongst these other women's groups that represented the field of medicine, engineering, and here we're representing the field of nutrition. So one of the um, one of the themes was that I I hope resonates and will continue to to use this theme is nutrition is a science, not a fad. So it was really important for this group to hear that women can go into nutrition, and they have, and that it is a science-based field too. So that was really exciting to be at the UN. And what happened, it's kind of funny that... (laughs) It was a little bit of a comedy of errors. When we finally got to the UN, you know, past the snowstorm and everything else, the building we were supposed to be in had no power. None? None. Oh, my God. So we were supposed to be in a basement in uh, room three, which was set up like a, uh, you know, a panel discussion table. 
So they said, well, we have to move now into the General Assembly. Oh, so you got the big, beautiful So we were actually (laughs) in the General Assembly room, which was so impressive and so wonderful. And it was pretty full. So that was very exciting out of all the craziness that (laughs) That transpired into be the positive. Yes, that was really positive. So that was great. Uh, Then the second thing that really happened that was very exciting is that I got to ring the NASDAQ bell and open the market on February 16th, and that is beyond exciting. And the New York delegation was there, and I thank them so much for being there. It was wonderful. They all dropped everything and (laughs) got there that morning, and uh, it was pretty exciting. And then to see it on the NASDAQ um, board in the middle of Times Square. Wow. That we are celebrating our 100th anniversary, second century, with our logo. That's exciting. It was just so exciting. It like was breathtaking, just I bet. It was wonderful. <laughs> I, I just, How many pictures did you take of We it? have a ton of pictures, <laughs> and I didn't realize that when you open the market, you have to actually sign that you open the market. So wow. I had to put my signature, but it, it was done electronically with this eraser kind of pen. <laughs> was making it difficult. I was, I was so You're overwhelmed. So I'm like... I'm opening the market today. Look at that. So it was really very exciting. That was the fun, exciting stuff. There's lots of exciting stuff that happens. Meeting the members, I will tell you the probably one of the, I will say one of the best days I ever had was Fancy and my opening speech. It was just wonderful. The people were just so wonderful. The members Members stopped me for days, I and I was so happy with their comments. Good, bad, indifferent. Yeah, sure. It was just a very exciting time. Just There's a lot to of energy my, in that room. Lot did of you energy. feel all that crazy energy in that I room? I did. It's amazing. I did. And I said, I'm the chief motivating officer, and that's <laughs> what I'm supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I felt that it resonated with the audience. So that was a very exciting time for me. And to be in a spot with all of your peers from all over the place is yeah. just... There's just there's nothing like it. That's so people true. have not gone to Fancy. You really need to go. You have to go to yes. Fancy. You cannot not go to Fancy, <laughs> and you have to go this year I because see. it's in Chicago. So Chicago's a great city. Mm-hmm. It's lots of fun, lots of shopping, mm-hmm. lots of food, lots of food, that, and lots of restaurants. <laughs> and it's going to be our hundredth anniversary, so it's going to be a really wonderful show. Mm-hmm. It'll be great. So I I really urge anyone. Save your pennies and go. Yes, and go. It's definitely a must. Go. You need to go. Yep. As a person, as a dietitian who is inspiring yourself, what is something that you heard that was the most inspiring thing to you along your dietitian path? Ooh. That's kind of a tough question, but you know you mentioned there was some people that helped you along the way, and but if there's something that maybe was that... You know, I always, uh, I go back, when I talk about inspiration... People have heard, if they've heard me speak, they've heard me say this before. I was personally inspired by my mother because my mother was a young divorced woman who raised myself and my sister. She went to school at night to get a degree in accounting. Wow. She actually got her degree after I got my degree. So it took her a, a while to get it because she was working six days a week while she was going to school. 
So she gave me just so much inspiration. I'm so thankful to having such a hardworking mom. And I think what was always ingrained in me was to work hard. That's really, that's always been ingrained. So I think that as a, as a young person starting my career, I knew I have to work hard. I have to always show up, always be there, do my homework, and give the best of myself to whatever employer, or if it's school, whatever it is. So I think that's my inspiration, always to work hard. Maybe it's not specifically for dietetics, but it's specifically for me mm-hmm. that that is my mantra to always work as hard as I can. Because if your mom can do it, that's... If mom can yes, do it, absolutely. let me tell you. <laughs> and she instilled that. It's really funny. She instilled that in my sister and I. My sister just finished putting her two boys through school, and now she's going back for her master's in forensic accounting. Holy Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So she, yeah, yeah. So your sister also did accounting like your mom. Yes, she yeah, did. She yes, did. she did. So, Huh. That's great. Yeah. You guys are a close unit. Your family We is. are. We are. We really are. And so. you, but it's very true. Like you have your family unit, and then you have your dietitian family. That's which it. is, you know, it's amazing how you yeah. just make those those connections along the way. That's great. Yeah. Well, I have some fun questions for you. Oh, good. I love fun You've questions. Had some oh, I have questions. really tough questions, and I feel like, oh, I have to think on my feet. So I like fun questions. Okay. What is your favorite food? My favorite food? Oh, I have to say, oh, this is in my genes. You know, I'm a, I, my, my grandparents came from Italy. So I love pasta, I will tell you. And I love my favorite kind of pasta is linguine with clams. Mm. I love that. And I'll make it often. I bet, and I bet it's delicious. <laughs> <laughs> and you get fresh clams around. Oh, here. yes, yeah. you do. Yes, Absolutely. you do. Yeah. What's your least favorite food? Oh, that's an easy one. I do not like bananas. <laughs> I just, I know I live in South Florida. We're like the banana capital, but I do not like bananas. Never have, never will. I don't even like banana bread because it has bananas it has in it. Just no bananas. <laughs> no bananas. <laughs> what is your favorite drink? Oh, you know, I'm a water gal. I, you know, I, I do like to to make it a little little bit more zippy by <laughs> adding maybe some lemon or lime or mm-hmm. even orange peel. Um, but as far as non-alcoholic, that's, <laughs> it would be water. I drink water. And I drink one cup of coffee a day. Do you? Yep. Is it one in the cup morning? of coffee. Yep, yep, in the morning. I like a big coffee cup, though. I don't want no, one you of don't these want little coffee cups. No, I want a good... I was just noticing I need new coffee mugs because it's small. And they're getting smaller and I smaller. I need about a 10-ounce <laughs> cup of coffee in the morning, and I, I like that. What's your least favorite drink? I don't know. I they, I really don't don't dislike any drinks. I just... I'm only a water drinker. You just like water. I'm, I'm just a really a water big water person, too. I'm a water too. drinker. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I like iced tea too, but mm. you know, so. I always forget about iced tea. Iced tea in this, yeah. in, you know, Florida is a big iced tea place. I bet. Yeah, we're a big iced tea place. Sun so. tea. Yeah, Ooh. yeah, sun tea. What's your favorite smell? You know, I'm one of those gals that I love perfume. I know a lot of people don't like perfume anymore, right? But I love perfume. <laughs> do you have a favorite that you? And wear? I do. My new favorite is um, 
Black opium. I oh. like like I like roses. I like the smell of that. Um, and in Florida, it's funny. Smells are different. Like you can go up north and you get that smell of fresh cut grass. You don't get that smell down here. Mm-hmm. So I think it's it's more roses I like, and I love the smell of oranges, citrus. That citrus. smell. Yeah, that's why you probably like orange peel in your water. Yes, I think and I it do. has that smell too. Yeah. Do you have a least favorite smell? Tiger lilies. They're awful. <laughs> I can't say I've ever smelled a tiger never lily. Have smelled a tiger lily. I don't, you know, maybe I have along the way, but I guess I've never really. So down in Florida, here we have a lot of you know wonderful flowers, and tiger lilies are pretty popular. And are they very strong? They are very strong. Are they? They're yes. like instant headache, strong <laughs> smell. So that's my least. That's favorite. your least favorite. Hopefully, nobody's listening that ever sent me tiger lilies. <laughs> well, now they know for future deliveries. <laughs> What brings you joy in life? Oh, you know, what I'm doing now brings me a lot of joy. It really does. It's wonderful to be able to serve the membership. I know that might sound corny to people, but I really don't mean it to be be corny. corny. (laughs) I mean it that I, I care so much for our members and our colleagues and our profession. It brings me a lot of joy to be able to use my talents to further our profession. And I... And I think that it was very joyful when I was elected because my colleagues were saying, you have something that we think would benefit us. So that brings me a lot of joy. And then when I have time, and I haven't had time in a little while, but I like to paint some of the paintings in this office I've done. And I love to paint. I like using my hands. I guess that's why I love to cook. Uh, when I lived in the cold weather, I would knit. Oh, God. You don't knit in Florida. You don't knit. No. There's no reason. There's no reason to <laughs> knit a sweater in Florida. I like to paint. I like to um, sew, not with a sewing machine, but just sew things by hand. I'll mm-hmm. still, you know, take up a hem. I can bring and you I, my buttons. I love it. I, you know what? People think, like, that's fun. <laughs> to me, it's fun. I fun. enjoy it. So I do like doing a lot of things with my hands, but I want to go back to painting. I love to paint. It's it really sounds kind of like maybe your reaction. meditation, like yes. something for you to yes, relax. Yes, it is. It is there is. certain things that you like to paint? I love to paint flowers because they're very forgiving. Except for tire lilies, right? Except for, no, they're beautiful <laughs> they're to beautiful. paint. They're beautiful. You like to paint <gasps> they're them? They're gorgeous to you paint. You just don't like to. But I don't like to smell them. <laughs> but yes, fruit and flowers uh, allow you, if you don't have this, this, if you're not that good a painter, <laughs> a hobbyist like me, it allows you to make many mistakes and it looks very so good. It looks good. Yes. And color. And color. Yeah. I love color. Yeah. Well, your your personality is very full of color. So. Well, thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that. Wonderful. Thank you. Well, I am so grateful for this conversation today and I have thoroughly enjoyed meeting you. Oh. And I am... Thank you. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. It was really a pleasure to meet you. I'm very honored that you would come this way to say hello to me. I really am. So thank you so much. My conversation with Lucille inspires me and has rejuvenated my passion for our profession. When talking with her, she radiates passion and she lives it and practices it every day. And this is why I do these podcasts. I hope each and every one of you have a role model like Lucille in your life to keep your dietitian fires burning brightly. 
Thank you so much, Lucille, for all that you do for our profession. Jolly Time Healthy Pop Popcorn is available in a variety of flavors and sizes, all of which are low in fat and high on deliciousness. Did you know that just three cups of Jolly Time Popcorn equal one whole grain serving? Jolly Time is family owned and located in Sioux City, Iowa. If you want to learn more, visit jollytime.com and snack smart and snack happy with Jolly Time Popcorn. Head on over to AnnaElizabethRD.com, where my book, I'm a Registered Dietitian, Now What?, is available. My weekly blog, Wisdom Wednesday, is available and where you can find all the show notes and links to things we talked about. I would also love for you to connect with me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at my handle, AnnaElizabethRD. Remember to be great always, find the joy in each day, and to start a conversation that truly matters.